Good morning and welcome. Our reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. It's the resurrection story, and starting at verse 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, as we go now to see the story again, may we see it with fresh eyes. For those who are um, in the church, they've been here a long time, I pray for them that they would be moved again to see you in your raised state, that you are alive and well. God, for those who do not come to church very often, for those who come on Easter, God, thank you for their presence here. God, I pray that they feel safe and comfortable, but I pray that they would uh, see again with new eyes the story they've heard before. May you see what you want them to see this morning. We ask all of this by the great Spirit who resides with us, longing to show us Jesus Christ raised from the dead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been singing all morning. We've been shouting it out. We've been saying it. The kids have been singing it, that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He has risen to new life. But on Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, Jesus' most ardent and loyal followers, that is not what they were doing. They were not celebrating like us. They did not get up to come and sing a bunch of praise songs. They did not come to say the Pascal greeting. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That is not how they woke up that morning. They woke up that morning mourning. Desperately sad. Their rabbi, their great friend and teacher was dead. And they had seen this before. They had seen great leaders come and go. It did not matter how different Jesus was. It did not matter how different he was from all the others. It was how he ended up that really mattered. Dead. Dead. And they wake up morning sad. And the women go to the tomb. But they immediately see it. You couldn't have missed it. The stone was rolled away, which would have freaked them out. So they go and look in. And even more shocking, there was no body. Only Jesus' grave clothes, the things that they wrapped him with. Now, I don't think they had any time to formulate any reason as to why this had happened. And then they see it. They see it. Dazzling. 
Dazzling. Now, that's not a word that you see very often in the Bible, the word dazzling. It comes from an old Greek word that they use to describe the lightning bolts of Zeus. Only this lightning was in the form of men, of angels, lit up like the sun, and the women fall to the ground. But quickly the men speak to them, and they say this, and I want you to hear it closely this morning. Why do you seek the living among the dead. They're not looking for an answer. It's a rhetorical question. It's a challenge. It's a loving, almost pastoral rebuke. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? They are seeking. They want to change the hearts, to shift them, to turn them around and point them in the right direction. They want them to wake up and fully and finally see the real Jesus. He is alive, they say. Stop seeking the living among the dead. Now, everyone here knows Jesus. Everyone knows him at some level, whether you come to church a lot or never come to church. You know this guy, and you have some sort of understanding of him. You've probably heard some of his stories. You have a take on him. Maybe he's a good guy. Maybe you think he is God. Everyone has their take on on Jesus. But I want to ask something bold of you this morning. I want you to do something bold. I want you to consider if you are like those first women disciples in the tomb. Those first women disciples who heard those words, why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, do you approach Jesus as though he is dead? Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in that place. Because you owe it to yourself to ask. You are worth it. You, are, you owe it your, to yourself to ask this challenge, take this loving rebuke, and possibly have your hearts turn to the thing you have always been looking for. The living. The living. So we're just going to follow their path. We're going to get into their shoes and we're going to look at three different ways they missed Jesus that morning. They misunderstood. They denied. And so we're going to look and we're going to look at three things. How they missed the miracle, how they missed the meaning, and finally the motivation. The miracle, the meaning, and the motivation. Here's the first one. They missed the miracle. Have you missed the miracle? So the central event of the Christian faith It is a historical event that we look back to, that we celebrate every Easter. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It sets it apart from all other religions. Here's a man who claimed that he rose from the dead. Here is a man that everyone else claimed, all of his followers, that he rose from the dead. So you cannot understand Jesus. You cannot know Jesus apart from his physical resurrection. Apart from this, he's just another guy, another leader, another religious zealot, not someone to die for. The Apostle Paul, who would come much later, or just a few years later after Jesus, he would say something amazing. Some people don't even think that this is here, that they believe it's here. But listen, this is 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. That is amazing to say that. 
He's saying that if you can turn up evidence right now, if you can find any evidence that Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, that he did not come back to life, all is lost. We got to quit our jobs. You have to quit following Jesus. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot understand him. You cannot know him apart from his bodily resurrection. But can I tell you what? You do not need the disciples to, to, or you do not need anyone else to tell you that this is somewhat problematic. You don't need anyone else to tell you that maybe Jesus really was not raised from the dead. A miracle? Are you joking? You don't need Bill Nye the Science Guy. You don't need Daniel Dennett. You don't need anyone to tell you that. All you have to do is get in your time machine and go back 2,000 years on that Saturday after the crucifixion and find any of his disciples and ask them what they felt. What did they think was going to happen? I can tell you what, they did not believe that Jesus was coming back. Here's what they would have said to you, no way. No way, there is no coming back from what he did, what he went through. I know he said it, he said he was going to come back, but he did that a lot, he told a lot of parables. No one comes back from death like that. The women, they walk up to the tomb. What was in their hands? Spices. Why? To mask the smell of the decomposing body. The women approach the tomb expecting it to be full. After all of Jesus' miracles, they did not believe in miracles. But then they arrive and the dazzling hits their eyes. They probably felt it. They heard it. And they hear these things. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is alive. You have approached him as though he is dead and you can no longer do that. And so my question to you this morning, the question to yourself is, is he alive? Is Jesus truly alive? Can you trust that he was truly raised from the dead? Can you trust a miracle? Let me just tell you, at the very least, you must doubt your doubts. You have to. If to be truly open-minded, you must doubt any of your firmly held positions, any of your firmly held beliefs. So I'm going to help you do that this morning. I'm going to put three pebbles in your shoes, okay? These are things I'm going to put kind of metaphorically in your shoes, and when you walk out, I want you to think more about them, okay? Here's the first thing. You are living in a miracle right now. You are living in a miracle right now. The universe is a miracle. The universe, every day we wake up in a miracle. Many cosmologists, the guys who study space and time, they don't think that God created the world. They think something else. They think that the universe just is. I know that's not technical language, but that's kind of how they see it. It has no cause. And it can't because if you keep on going back and further and further back, well, there had to have been something. And so they say that the universe just spontaneously came about, just sprung into existence. And then you ask them why, and they say, we don't know. It just did. Now, that sounds to me like the definition of a miracle. I could be wrong. That something just happened. We don't know how. We don't have any answer for it or explanation. It just is. We live in a miracle. And let me give you a more plausible story, at least in my mind. 
that it's not the universe that is uncaused. It is someone who is uncaused, a supernatural, all-powerful being who is uncaused, who we are told created everything. He spoke the universe into existence. Now, if that's true, then why would we not expect this God who, could, who created the laws of nature to be able to upend one of them to bring back his own son from the dead? If you can believe in God, then you can believe in this miracle. Here's the second thing. You know that women found him. Say that again. You know, everyone here knows by reading this text that women were the first to find Jesus in his empty tomb. Men wrote these stories, right? They wrote these stories down and they wrote these women into the, into the first, as the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. It's all in the Gospels. All of them, the women, they go to the tomb. They find him there. It's a little bit different in each story. But the, but the truth is that the women found him. They wrote that into the story. And I want to tell you this. You should not know that. You should not see that in your Bibles. You should not hear that reading this morning. It should not be there. And here's what I mean. Women back in those days, in that first century of Rome and Judea, they were not trusted. It was, a, it was a bad time that women were not trusted. Their testimony was not admissible in any court, Jewish or Roman or otherwise. The disciples knew this. And that's partly, I think, the reason why they don't believe them at first. We can't trust a woman to tell us what has happened. Now fast forward 20, 30, 40 years later. The disciples are compiling the Gospels, the stories of Jesus Christ. And what is their goal? Their goal is pretty obvious. It's to get people to believe in Jesus Christ. To get them to believe that he is real. So why would they leave the account of the women there? They were the first eyewitnesses. Why lead with them? It would have done them no good. It would have hurt their story but it would not have hurt to leave them out. The story was the same. They didn't need to keep the women there, and yet they did. Why? That's what you have to ask yourself. Why did they leave them in? Because maybe it really happened. Because maybe the gospel writers were compelled to write the women into the story because the women really were the first to see the empty tomb and angels. They believed this was happening. Okay, a final pebble. We also know the women's names. We know the women's names. We don't just know that the women were there. We know their names. But as you read this account, you can probably see that we don't know the names. We don't, the names are not revealed right away. We have to wait for that. We have to wait till the end of this passage, out, out, out into verse 10. The women go, they're there, they see the angels, and they run to the disciples, the rest of them. And that's when Luke reveals their names. Luke 24.10 Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Why did he wait? Why would he wait to tell something like that? He knew their names. He could have put it right at the beginning. That's what you usually do when you're writing the account of someone. Here are the people. Now here's the reason and it's important. He wanted everyone to know their names so that they could go talk to them. 
about what they had seen. He doesn't give their names at the front because they did not believe yet. But by the time the angels have spoken to them and they have run back to the other disciples, they believe now and now Luke will name them. I am giving these names to you now. I'm writing these names down so that you can go ask them yourself. Here are the women who saw Jesus alive. Here are their names. Do not take my word for it. Hear it firsthand from them. And so Christianity at that time was an open book. It was an open history. Come, prove us wrong. Prove us wrong. Now, we don't have the luxury of going back. I know I said you have a time machine. You don't. I'm sorry. You don't have the, time. You don't have the luxury of going back and asking these people, these women, what they saw. You would not. And so, in a sense, we can't believe that either. But we can believe that a lot of other people at that time did. A lot of other people had the opportunity to go find these disciples, these women, and ask them, you really saw Jesus alive? Yes, we did. Now, there are all sorts of religious groups, small groups who will find something or someone to believe in, right? They'll believe in anything, a small group. And so we could just say it's easy to to dismiss these women, but Luke is just beginning. He's just beginning to unfold who has seen Jesus and who will see Jesus. So first it's the women, and then it's the disciples. Did you hear that? And everyone else. So who knows how many people that was? And then you get out into the other gospels and the other epistles and we find out that more and more people are hearing about him. And then Paul will write down that at one point, 500 people saw Jesus alive. And all this is saying is that this is an open book. Don't just believe these words. Go and find these people. You know their names. These people will tell you what they saw. If only a few people believed that Jesus rose from the dead, there would be no Christianity today. It would have been easy to find them and say, okay, you believe, and then go find some other people in the same boat and saying, well, they don't believe. 500 people believed. And they said to the people, to the doubters, no, it's really true. I saw him alive and well. I would, have not, I would not have believed it had I not seen it. Maybe you come to the tomb this morning, in a manner of speaking, and you expect it to be full. I ask, can you leave that way? Do not miss the miracle of the resurrection. Second thing, do not miss the meaning. Do not miss the meaning. It's very easy to miss the meaning of the resurrection. That's what the women did. They missed it. So the angels say, we heard it already this morning, why are you seeking the living among the dead? But then they follow up very quickly with this next statement. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and on the third day, rise. So one of the reasons the women went to the tomb expecting Jesus' dead body because they did not believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was part of a larger plan, was part of an unfolding story. And this being the case, even though Jesus had told them over and over and over, they missed the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection even though he told them it was going to happen. 
So one time my little daughter told me, she was two at the time, Violet, she's not down here, she's downstairs. Her name was Violet, she was two. And she said, I'm going on an expedition. Okay, good. Now I was working at the time, I was preoccupied, and I said, okay, honey, you go do that, go on your expedition. I sat working, and as I could, I could hear her in the other room rummaging through stuff, getting stuff together, and I thought it was adorable. And then I kind of lost track of time, and, and then I, but then I, I kind of came to my senses, and I realized that I was not hearing anything. I didn't hear anything. And so I get up, and I go to our back door, and it's wide open, wide open. And I run outside, and I frantically look for her. And I see a little speck out in a field behind us. We live right next to farmland, and she is halfway up like two acres. She's in a raincoat and rain boots and a hat and has a bag. I am going on an expedition, she told me. And I sat there because I did not believe her. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The women came to the tomb expecting a dead Jesus because they did not believe what he said about himself. That what? That he must die. You hear that word must? He must die. The Son of Man must be crucified. Now, why did they miss this? He said it over and over again. Why did they miss this? They had believed everything else he had said. They had followed him everywhere. Why not follow him into this last truth? I actually don't think it was mainly because of what he was saying about himself, but because of what this was saying about them. The women believed Jesus was a great man, that he was the Messiah. They believed that the Messiah was coming, that he came into the world to help them retake Jerusalem, to become the people of God again. They would have to conquer Rome, this prevailing, horrible army. The Messiah would come and he would help them retake that. He would be this conquering, physically awesome king and he would hand the kingdom back to them. But what these women, what the rest of them could not get their minds around, what they could not believe was that Jesus did not come to conquer Rome, but that he came to conquer the sin in their own hearts. And even crazier, he would do it by dying. Why did Jesus have to die? Why must Jesus die? Because this was the only way that he could save us. Jesus had to take our place and receive our punishment. On the cross, Jesus Christ became our atoning sacrifice. On the cross, he bore the punishment for the punishment we all deserve. One way to think about it is that on the cross, Jesus diverted the punishment that was owed to us, that was coming for us, and he diverted it away from us. For some reason in the 90s, there was this there was this run where there were a lot of volcano movies. I don't know why. They were not very good movies, but there were volcano movies. And the, my favorite one was called Volcano. It was with Tommy Lee Jones, and it was about a volcano that erupts from underneath Los Angeles. It's totally possible, I guess. 
Anyway, it erupts and this lava comes spewing out and it's headed towards all these people. Everyone's going to die. And Tommy Lee Jones comes and he saves the day. And here's how he does it. He finds the tallest skyscraper and he puts all these explosives down beneath it and they blow it up at the foundation and it falls over right into the path of the oncoming lava and the lava is diverted away into the ocean and everyone is saved. Everyone is saved. Now the movie is cheesy and it's unrealistic. (laughs) But the death of Christ for us is not. He too was cut down to divert the punishment away for us, the punishment that we deserved. All of the wrath and fury was put on God, was put on Him, the Son, so that it would not be put on us. Now this means something very specific. I want you to hear this. This is what the disciples, what the women were having a hard time with. They had to accept the reality that they could not save themselves. They could not save themselves. This is likely the hardest thing you will ever do. We are Westerners. We are rugged individualists. We believe that we can do anything. We can even save ourselves. The cross that's behind me stands in stark reminder that we cannot do it. It was the one thing that we could not do, the one thing we could not fix. No amount of our good works could do it. We needed the sacrifice of another. The angels say to the women, Jesus had to die. May that ring in your hearts now. Jesus had to die for you. There's a story of a father weeping over his teenage son in a hospital. The son is laid out in a coma in a hospital bed. The son was catastrophically injured playing basketball, of all things. He was in a game in his high school, and he threw himself into the stands to grab a ball. He lunged into the stands to hopefully get this loose ball. But as he did, a chair was turned over, and he put all of his weight in his stomach onto one of the upturned legs, jammed his side into it. Now he got up and he felt okay and then he started playing again, but at some point he collapsed. He passed out. They quickly rushed him to the hospital and they discovered that he was hemorrhaging internally. Now the son eventually recovered. But those awful hours of waiting for the slightest signs of recovery forced family members to ask questions they had never asked and faced before, and especially the father. As he was weeping over his son, his minister, his young pastor, happened to be sitting there. The father looks up and he looks at his minister and he says, Will God kill my son to punish my sin? Will God kill my son to punish my sin? Young minister searched for the right words and he said emphatically, No, the Lord is not punishing your son for your sin. He couldn't. He wouldn't because God punished his son for your sin. Maybe you come to the tomb believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, okay, he rose from the dead. That's great. But you do not come believing that Jesus had 
to die for you. Can you leave that way? Do not miss the meaning of Jesus' death. Here's the last point this morning. We miss the motivation. We miss the motivation. The angels say, why do you seek the living among the dead? But I want you to hear something embedded in this. It's not just a rebuke. It's not just a rebuke. It's a turn. When I had little children, I had to learn very quickly that you have to steer them away from bad things. They love good things, don't they, children? They love things that they can see and touch and taste and feel. They can find things on the ground that they should never put in their mouths, though, right? It's amazing. And so what you take them, you take them and you turn them away. You don't just say no, you turn them away to something better. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They are turning these women to something good. They are not saying, do not seek the living. They say only, do not seek the living among the dead. Though you have come to the wrong place, you are not wrong to seek Life, go seek the living among the living. But we miss the motivation. We miss this desire that God has implanted in us. A desire for life. It is good, but we are looking in all the wrong places. Anne Lamott is a writer, and she said that there is only one thing guaranteed in this world, and that is your needs. The only thing guaranteed in this world is your needs. This is what she says. There is not a guarantee in the world. No, strike that. Your needs are guaranteed. Your needs are absolutely guaranteed by the most stringent of warranties in the plainest, truest words. Knock, seek, ask. That is what unites us, isn't it? That is what unites humanity. Knock, seek, ask ask. It is not death or taxes. It is the need inside of us that we want something more of this life. We are all on a trek to find that thing that will satisfy us. We are searching for that thing that will give us meaning, that will give us identity and purpose. I was in the gym the other day. saw this guy had a t-shirt on. People wear weird shirts. And it was a UFO. And beneath it, it said, I want to believe. And I think he did. He wanted to believe in UFOs. Who can blame him? We are a people that want to believe there is more to this life, more than just meets the eye. We are on a journey. So I was listening to Billy Crystal's autobiography a couple weeks ago. He's so hilarious. Comedian, actor, you know him, Billy Crystal. And there's a religion, this hilarious kind of hard-hitting take on religion And he says this at the end. Now, I don't know where he is right now. He's probably agnostic. My sense is maybe even atheist. But it's amazing what he says at the end, this capitulation. This is what he says. The bottom line is that I want to reconnect with God. I want something to hold on to because I want to believe there's something better. Something after this. And I hope there is. After all my disillusionment, I want to believe. 2,000 years ago, not everyone was in disbelief that, that morning. Not everyone was in total disbelief. 
There was one person who was ready to believe. He had rejected Christ so many times. He had denied him over and over and over, but something was shifting in his heart. And so when the women came to tell the others what had happened, everyone just sat there except this one person. He stood up and started running. He wanted to believe. Verse 12 says, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, when he, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. You might find yourself in one of the three categories that we've set up this morning. Perhaps you approach the tomb and you do not believe the miracle. You miss it. You miss the second one. You miss the meaning that Jesus had to die for you. But I know there are many who miss this. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, he died for my sins. But you do not feel it. You have not made the spiritual connection to those things. Those things out there meant to come to your heart remain distant from you. And so we might say it this way, that we sometimes, that many of us go to the tomb with low expectations. You go to the tomb expecting a dead man because at the end of every other one of your journeys you have taken, this is what you have found. You have seen death and brokenness and sadness, but I wonder if this morning you will see in your minds the looks on those women's faces. I wonder if you will hear the joy in their voices. What they have seen, what they have experienced, what they have heard is unlike anything else in the universe for what they have seen, what they have now believed is life. Peter saw it. Peter heard it. The second he saw those women, the second he heard their joy, he stood up and he took off in a sprint. I knew it, he said to himself. I knew there was more. I knew there was more to this story. I knew there was more to this man. I do not just want to believe. I know that I can. Our deepest needs, our deepest motivations point to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what your heart has always wanted. And so I challenge you this Easter. Do not sit on the sidelines. Get up and run to him. Run to the truth of his resurrection. Make the spiritual connection in your life to his great life. C.S. Lewis was a writer, theologian, he believed that he had found life in Jesus Christ. And what he called it was the hope of the true country. The true country, the real country, where he would finally experience all good things. And he said this, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not ultimately find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the, the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Friends, I ask you this morning to seek 
the living. Seek the living Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we know that we are so sinful that we needed your death and resurrection so much that we cannot actually see you on our own. Our vision is so clouded. Our hearts so hard that we need you to move. And so I pray that immediately. I pray that for each person here, that they would feel the move of Jesus Christ in their hearts. That for perhaps the first time, they would see the joy. They would not just hear about the resurrection, but want to take it into their hearts. That they would not just see this as words written down 2,000 years ago, but a truth that has existed until now because it is true. God, for those who are struggling, who are hurting, who are far from you, I pray that you get close this morning. And not just this morning, I pray tomorrow when they wake up. This week as they go to work, this year as they live their lives out. May they not follow the same path. May they not go to the same tomb. May they find you fully alive. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.